I often start by saying that in 1961, there were three women who wrote books who changed the world. The books changed the world. And they are Betty Friedan, The Feminine Mystique, Rachel Carson, Silent Spring, and Jane Jacobs, The Death and Life of Great American Cities. We could say Jane Jacobs changed the world by changing the way we see the world around us, especially cities. Glenna Lang is a visual artist and an author of two books about Jane Jacobs and someone whose own way of seeing cities was shaped by her mother and father, academic interpreters of cities in a very passionate way. And, oh yes, maybe and especially at the University of Chicago, where students were not to be hindered by old ways of thinking and so could become capable of bringing forth ideas that would change the world. As one of those students, Glenna Lang, would gaze out her dormitory window at a building that asked fresh and fundamental questions and opened new vistas. I was fortunate enough in my college years to have Frank Lloyd Wright's Roby House right outside my dorm window, and that really was kind of a jump start for more interest in studying architectural history and ultimately to observe cities as well. And so we'll use the image of that window, open windows for gazing and learning, but not for separating or distancing, as we meet Jane Jacobs through the eyes of Glenna Lang. And because Glenna knows the power of those formative experiences in our early years, she actually came here to Scranton, Pennsylvania, where Jane Jacobs was born and stood in Jane's bedroom and looked out her window to see what Jane saw as she looked out at the city of Scranton, her first city. I am convinced I've gone back and reread parts of Death and Life of Great American Cities, and so much of what she writes in, in that book, which is based on her observations out her window in Greenwich Village and walking around, um, is, really sounds like Scranton. Glenna knows, though, that Jane started at street level, and so Glenna walked along the streets of Scranton, too, not only looking through Jane's window on Monroe Avenue, but walking in her shoes, in a sense. Downtown is for people. And one of her sentences, declarative sentence, you've, you've got to get out there and walk to experience it. Glenna Lang has written an important study titled Jane Jacobs' First City, Learning from Scranton, Pennsylvania, recently issued by New Village Press. On a return visit to Scranton to address a gathering of architects, Glenna Lang paid a visit to the WVIA studios to share her excitement about Jane Jacobs and the city of Scranton. We began, though, by situating Jane Jacobs as she's generally known by urban planners, architects, designers, landscape architects, sociologists, and the public at large. I, I often start by saying that in 1961, there were three women who wrote books who changed the world. The books changed the world. And they are Betty Friedan, The Feminine Mystique, Rachel Carson, Silent Spring, and Jane Jacobs, The Death and Life of Great American Cities. So that's what I call the triumvirate. And Jane's book was completely unique. It was outspoken. It went against the grain. It was iconoclastic. It was controversial. 
And this is because she attacked the current urban planning of American cities at that time. And it was a time when the the trend, the, the new and wonderful thing to do was to, to make your cities modern, to get rid of what they considered blight, and to tear these neighborhoods down and replace them with modern high-rise buildings. And uh, this was, this is all the rage, but uh, Jane thought this was a very bad idea. And she said so very articulately, very methodically, very convincingly in her book. Some people hated it, but others listened. And the amazing thing now is that a lot of what she says is part of the common parlance. We talk about mixed uses. We talk about eyes on the street. Uh, we talk about density, um, many, many phrases that we all use, which were, were just highly incendiary, <laughs> are, are now totally accepted. And this is thanks to, to Jane Jacobs. What about Greenwich Village? What happened there? We mm-hmm. could have lost Greenwich Village, right? Yes. So, so after the book, people turned to her for help when the city or the state were threatening to, to tear down neighborhoods, to put up new highways that would obliterate neighborhoods. And they would get in touch with Jane, ask advice. And then one morning, she was reading the newspaper. And lo and behold, they were... They were about to do a study on her very own neighborhood. They wanted to decide whether it was preferably torn down, and this just catapulted her into action. And she was a, a, a very good leader. She, she worked through consensus, but she included everybody and, and ultimately saved Washington Square Park from having a highway put through it, which would have killed it. What you tell us there has roots you are arguing in her experience of her very first city here uh yes (laughs) she learned those principles or developed them because of her experience i i believe that and and so this has been really my own theory and and discovery after many many years of of research and talking to people but I, I am convinced I've gone back and reread parts of Death and Life of Great American Cities. And so much of what she writes in, in that book, which is based on her observations out her window in Greenwich Village and walking around, um, is, really sounds like Scranton. And, and since I was kind of testing that hypothesis, other people have have confirmed that, and in fact, somewhere, I I read in her own words, she she says, you know, actually these theories in death and life did not begin with Greenwich Village, but rather in Scranton. So she just kind of mentioned that in passing, and I I think maybe she realized that later on in her life as well. I, I'm not sure she was consciously doing this when she wrote Death and Life. And you first discovered Jane Jacobs, how, and what grabbed you about Mm. her? I kind of grew up with Jane Jacobs because my parents were very interested in cities, and they were sociologists. And uh, (laughs) whenever we traveled, we would go to the grittier parts of town, and, you know, they wanted to do the sociological tour. 
And I, I was 10 when her book came out, but it was in the house, and I was aware of the book. I was not really aware of Jane Jacobs at that point. But I, I always loved cities, and I actually, after college, became a, a visual artist, and, and city subject matter was very much part of my work. Well, we know that you are a very, very careful writer and have a wonderful style and a wonderful tone. And I noted that you open the book, the introduction, with those two words, curious and observant. And that's probably not an accident. You mentioned Eyes on the Street. When you were here last, maybe, there was a week-long celebration in Scranton of Mm. Jane and the synecdoche. The logo was a big replica of her eyeglasses. So that seeing, perceiving, and how she incorporated that into what she developed and thought about from beginning to end was key. And that's how you start. Is that something that you wanted us to know that we would be learning from you how curious and how observant she was? Oh, that was very, very conscious. And and Jane used the word observe a lot. The Girl Scouts had taught her to observe nature, and observation was extremely important to the Scouts, and it gave Jane an opportunity to to use that ability and interest that she had in all. And she was, she was very much an autodidact. She she did not like school. She liked to read, and she read just voraciously, as did her whole family, I believe. But observation and thinking on her own were her method. So uh, observation and analysis. But it, it, it's also an empowering activity because if you can observe and then analyze, then you don't need to be a so-called expert. You can use your own eyes, and your own eyes are fresh eyes. And that's very much Jane. And, and she was just curious about everything. She she read widely and deeply. She, you know, loved everything from novels and poetry to very serious history and uh, science books. Not to say that novels and poetry aren't serious, but very kind of technical and deep. We could say in that regard, then, that she became interested in newspaper writing and journalism would be what an observer and someone who would think and put things together would be perfect for her. A- absolutely. It, it, was, it was something that she wanted to do for a long time. And her passion for writing began when she was a, a child. It's, it stems from reading and the, the love of words. And she won poetry contests through uh, high school, and and two of her poems were chosen for a national anthology of poems by young young poets. And I've, I've read this in the Scranton newspaper of nineteen whatever it was, you know, thirty one or something like that. And so she she told the the woman who was editing the young poets book they they wanted biographical information. And she said, well, I I want to be a writer, but first I want to be a reporter. And she wanted to practice observing and writing. And when she got out of high school, her parents really wanted her to go to college. And she said, "Um, nope, I've I've got a plan. And, And she got the equivalent of an internship at the Scranton, then Republican, 
and she she was good. And and first they they put her on reviewing plays and some books. And this was, you know, after expecting her to come and be part of the the women's page so-called department. It was two people. And uh, they they were so taken with what she wrote and her observations, what she, she saw, that they, they started giving her the reviews. And, and quite soon after that, actually having her do news stories as well. And she loved it because this is where writing and observation come together. She she learned about parts of the city that she wouldn't have otherwise, and they included pretty interesting, seamier sides of the of the city. You mentioned, as we start off on this story, that her family didn't necessarily have to settle here. Mm. And it was a conscious choice to settle in Scranton. What were the factors that led to the choice of the family to settle? That's a great question, because it's kind of... A, the core of her life, in a way. So her father's from a, a kind of poor country family in Virginia. Her mother's from a very upper-middle-class family in, near Bloomsburg in Pennsylvania. And they met in Philadelphia, where he's a doctor and the mother is a nurse. And they were very, they were serious people. And um, they were trying to decide where would be a good place to start a medical practice. And they also wanted to have a family. And I think they spent quite some time <laughs> deciding what would be the best city. And her, her son emphasized to me that, that these, these were really important talks. And they, they, they were determined to, to choose well. And the, the runner-up was Detroit because it was so successful at that time with cars starting and all that. So this is in 19, sort of between 1907 and 1909. And they decided on Scranton because uh, it, it was so, um, it was thriving at that point. And uh, it was prosperous and it was exciting but Jane is looking at it through her eyes as a, a child and then a, you know, an adolescent, and she can't for the life of her <laughs> understand why her parents chose Scranton. And so it, it intrigued her all her life. I mean, it, I think to her, she clearly loved the city as well, but it was small, and she had big ideas, and she was lured by the big city, the Big Apple, New York. And when she was in high school, she couldn't wait to get out of Scranton. And, and she did. She went as soon as she finished her internship and, and visited her aunt in, in North Carolina and in the Appalachians. She, she took off for New York. And so in a way, she, you know, she came to, to find her, herself and, and success and the the thing about Scranton, you know, why why did why did they choose Scranton of all places? Really stayed with her for a long time, and she she talked about it with her her children. And that shows a lot. If you're going to talk about it with your children, it yeah. shows that it it is a deep question. It was or, a deep question, and uh, she shared a lot with them. When she was here, you tell the delightful story about looking forward to going to the dentist. <laughs> She told it even better than I'll tell you. 
she she loved to have any excuse to go downtown because it, it was just so interesting. So many people, so many shops. She always loved diversity, and that that meant diversity of everything. You know, diversity of what people sold, of where they came from, what they did, and and the city had a concentration of people and and buildings. And she loved the beautiful architecture. I think she appreciated that. Scranton had a lot of really fine fine buildings, including the the schools they put a lot into. Oh, and she she loved to go down to the railroad station and watch watch the trains come in and see who was coming and going. And uh, I think it was just you know so much so much going on there. And and she lived on the the outskirts of town. Scranton doesn't have a huge downtown, so that that going in was was quite a change at that point. You mentioned the Girl Scouts, and you have a chapter mm-hmm. devoted to the Girl Scouts. And much of her character comes out in the interactions that she was involved in in the Girl Scouts. Are there things that are, are telling about who Jane was that come out in those? Mm, you have wonderful questions. <laughs> uh, yes. I mean, you can see even in, in the photographs that I have that were very kindly, the, the family allowed me to use, that she's so much a leader and and I don't think she necessarily realized that or aspired to it, but she had she had charisma. She was really smart, and other young people uh, looked towards her. And uh, so so I I think Girl Scouts encouraged her leadership. I think she enjoyed it being girls. Not that that was a big issue for her. And it also this is a real surprise to me. Girl Scouts encouraged her interest in writing and also reading. It was a very literate time and a very uh, literate organization. Uh, they, they had a wonderful magazine, or I think they still have a magazine, but this was really super high quality. And editors, let's see, one of them had written a book with Eleanor Roosevelt. You know, editors who, who were really good teachers, good editors, saw that there was good material in the magazine were hired by the Girl Scouts. And they had contests for poetry or short stories, all sorts of things, even photography. And and the prizes were books. <laughs> and Jane loved that. And and she, uh, I know she got a prize for her nature journal, among other things. So I think she, she loved the sense of freedom. You know, you could, you could determine what you wanted to do. So she was a strong young woman as she well, was. always. Maybe. She was. Yeah. I, I was always struck by her self-confidence. And she was never afraid to speak truth to power. She stood up to her teachers. <laughs> but, but, I mean, she wasn't unruly. She was just, she had a sense of um, her path and what was right and wrong. And you know, she even did a book on moral systems as well, systems of survival. So, so Girl Scouts really helped to encourage that as well. And you take note that she took note of the economic situation, mm. how people made their living. Yes. And there were ups and downs economically yes. in Scranton. But she was keen on understanding how that worked, right? Yes, yes. And that's a really good question. I mean, her her father was a doctor, but he also, and Jane always pointed out to her children, that that he had to earn a living somehow. So he he was aware of 
the economy. He, he and she were very close. Uh, obviously, he cared about all his children, but he really led her in on a, a lot of his thought process. I know from the newspapers that you know he sort of <laughs> belonged to some sort of banking organization, and so it was an interest of his that I, I am sure he shared with her as well, because he shared everything. And of course, she would then be able to speak to, on a larger stage, the national stage and the urban stage about the roots of the economy and shaping yes. the lives of people. Absolutely. And she read the papers. I mean, everybody read a paper. Um, her family, I think, read even more than than other families. And, and she talked about sitting around the dinner table or breakfast table, and her father had some contraption he put his newspaper up in, and he he got a daily um, Philadelphia paper and had favorite columnists, and he'd say, oh, well, let's see what so-and-so has to say today. And they would read snippets to, to one another. So I'm, I'm sure she learned about the economy that way, and also through books that she read. And, and th- this goes back to the Girl Scouts, but they had reading lists for the, the badges at that point. So I, I saw, you know, really well-respected economists' books on that list. It was um, amazing and, and sort of first-rate historians. So the, the badges weren't just for, you know, cooking or something like that. They had a journalist badge, as a matter of fact. You mentioned sitting around the table, and that home, their ultimate mm. house, was so important to her. Mm-hmm. What did it represent to her? What are the kinds of things did she say? Oh, I mean, I think she she loved the physical house. It's it's very beautiful. It's um, not ostentatious. They had a big family, and uh, it's a, a solid house. But more than that, it was it was a gathering place. And and her mother cooked, and and uh, she fed people. I I talked to a woman who had known Jane as a, a child, and she said, "Oh, uh, Mrs. Butzner was Jane's maiden name." Oh, she always had fresh-made cookies for us, and you know, and the food at her house was was always better. <laughs> and so I think a lot of people came and went. Jane's mother, especially, came from a large family. There were relatives who visited. I know that Doctor Butzner had meetings with his colleagues there, and and meetings just to discuss interesting topics like um, you know new trends in psychology and medical issues. and And Jane liked to be there, and and sometimes eavesdrop, <laughs> and sometimes I think was invited in. So it it, it was a, a wonderful atmosphere, a, a lot of conversation, a lot of support from her parents. They, they respected her. And Jane told her son that a wonderful thing about her parents was they, they always took her seriously, and they believed in taking children seriously. You have a wonderful photo from her bedroom, and that's, yeah. again, significant for this sense of looking out onto the world and observing. What did she see out of that room? Oh, it faces west, and you could see all the way to West Mountain. And that's I took that photo when the, the leaves were no longer on the trees. And, and you can see far. So I might not have mentioned that, that the house was kind of at the high point of the street. It's not a huge difference, but it's a little above. So you, you look out over the city, and um, I'm sure she loved that. In the growing up years, we know that bright children sometimes don't like 
the school chafing under the collar and that. What schools did she attend or what school? Because mm-hmm. people listening will say, oh, I know, she went to... Yes, and I've, I've had people say, oh, I went there. She first went to the George Washington School Number 3 in Dunmore. They, they lived not far from the Scranton line in the, I guess they call it the Hollywood section of Dunmore. And it was a grammar school, and it went through eighth grade. But I think her parents were thinking ahead, and they wanted to see that Jane went to Central High School in Scranton, which was a really fabulous school. And in order to be able to do that in ninth grade, and this is what her classmate told me, and so I was really lucky to, to meet a 95-year-old woman who was sharp as a tack and, and could explain this to me because nobody could understand why she suddenly went to eighth grade in, in Scranton. But there were two ways to get into Scranton Central High. And one was to, if you wanted to start in ninth grade, was to go to eighth grade in Scranton proper. So she went to George Washington School number one. How, how confusing can you get? <laughs> um, which was in the school administration building for eighth grade. And from there, she went to Scranton Central High. You tell us many interesting things about Jane's formal education, learning in that sense, but you subtitle your book, Learning from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Something you did, in fact, but you contend that she did. Well, I think so much of her her thought overall is is rooted in Scranton. It, It makes sense. And I think the learning from Scranton means that Jane learned from Scranton, I learned from Scranton, other people can learn. But... It talks about something that's kind of overlooked. You know, Jane wrote about great cities, which I assume means not only wonderful, but big. But this tells us that I think she discovered and appreciated the value of medium-sized cities. And she's looking back, you know, she lived to be almost 90. And uh, today, I think these, these smaller cities are really, really important. And she's, at that point, also living in Toronto, which is a wonderful but massive, unwieldy city, as is New York, quite frankly, <laughs> at this point. And she, she believed that. So I think we can continue to learn from Scranton to see how the smaller cities can, can be a wonderful place to live. You know, they're, they're manageable, they're exciting, all those things. Many, many lessons from Jane and from Scranton that can be applied to other smaller cities and um, and hopefully uh, help communities and community groups going forward to benefit from that as well. It kind of spreads her, her knowledge a little bit and applies it. And I think that's where she might have been going in, in her thought. Glenna Lang visual artist on the faculty of the School of the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston, author of two books about distinguished Scranton native Jane Jacobs. The first, Genius of Common Sense, the story of Jane Jacobs and the death and life of great American cities. And more recently, Jane Jacobs' first city, Learning from Scranton, Pennsylvania, issued in May 2021 by New Village Press, a handsome, beautifully written volume filled with many photographs. For more information, on the web, newvillagepress.org, newvillagepress.org. And for Glenna Lang's personal website, glennalang.com, 
glennalang.com, G-L-E-N-N-A-L-A-N-G.com. The book is Jane Jacobs' First City, Learning from Scranton, Pennsylvania, issued by New Village Press and authored by our guest today on Art Scene, Glenna Lang. <laughs>